Happy Sabbath. You know, I just want to say it's an honor and a privilege to be able to stand up here. And I want you to understand I don't take this opportunity lightly. I don't consider this being a right to come up here. By the grace of God, I was selected, and I really appreciate that. I not only appreciate the opportunity to come up here and or speak to you, but also I want to thank everyone who participates in this service week after week, whether it be with, with the music, the special music, uh, the tithes, the offerings, um, the scripture readings, just everything, and even the things that are done behind the scenes. Um, it just brings so much joy to my heart to be able to come and speak to you today. And, you know, just looking at the world around us in the past six months, we could say that things have drastically changed, could we not? It's like we're living in an entirely different world now. And so today I wanted to just focus on what it means to have the mind of Christ or putting on the mind of Christ. Uh, So before we begin, let's open up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this gorgeous day, Lord, for this beautiful Sabbath day that you've given us. You've given us an opportunity to come before you, uh, to worship before your throne, Father. I just ask for your angels to be here with us, to minister to us, and your Holy Spirit to be poured out upon this place today. Father, I I pray that each and every one of us leave here changed and and just are emboldened uh, by the things that are happening in the world, that it would just cause us to want to rise up, Father, and preach your message to the world. Be with us this day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So again, the title of this message, I wanted to focus on putting on the mind of Christ. And I wanted to look a little bit at some of the news that's been taking place. Uh, In the book of Matthew 24, we're told that we're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars, that nation would rise against nation, kingdoms against kingdoms, and there would be famines, pestilences in various places. I can say that now with what's happening in the world, we can actually see that unfolding. We're seeing political strife. We're seeing rioting in the streets where there's been locusts um, throughout Africa and other countries, flooding throughout the world, this pandemic that's taking place, um, explosion in Beirut. We're hearing about all sorts of tragedies taking place. And we know as Seventh-day Adventists, we understand the great controversy. And the center of the book of Revelation is uh, Revelation chapter 12. If you look at what's called the chiastic structure, it points the center of Revelation as the focal point of this story, this battle that we're in. And we're very familiar with this scripture. It says, war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. You know, we look at all the wars that have taken place. The first war wasn't some war that took place in the Middle East. It wasn't World War II or or some war that took place thousands of years ago. The very first war that ever happened started in heaven. And we're told in Revelation, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in the earth, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows his time is short. We're also told in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, that we're to be sober and vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. And in Ephesians, 
we're instructed to put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. You know, we're looking at everything that's transpiring, and we are seeing that the devil's time is growing short. And so he's going to just do anything he can to, to, to shake us up, to shake his, to the, the people of God up. He'll do anything he can to throw diversions at us, to keep our minds off of where the prize is, to keep our minds off of Christ. From Testimonies, Volume 9, page 11, Mrs. White writes this. It was written over 100 years ago, and we can literally see this coming to pass today. The days in which we live are solemn and important. The Spirit of God is gradually but surely being withdrawn from the earth. Plagues and judgments are already falling upon the despisers of the grace of God. The calamities by land and sea, the unsettled state of society, the alarms of war are portentous. They forecast approaching events of the greatest magnitude. The agencies of evil are combining their forces and consolidating. They are strengthening for the last great crisis, and great changes are soon to take place in our world, and the final movements will be rapid ones. And I just have to question, did we just see the beginning of the final movements? I don't know. I really don't know, but it seems like the prophetic clock of time has just sped up. Now, I want to show some news slides, but I want you to understand I'm not showing any of these slides uh, to promote any type of idea, any type of political position, or any ideological position. I just want to show you some news slides that kind of help us to understand where we're at and what things are going on behind the scenes. Um, recently, at the beginning of this pandemic, we see the Pope had declared that the governments need to pray to make hard decisions for common good. We always ask the question, what decisions need to be made for the common good? What are those decisions? Donald Trump declares Sunday a national day of prayer. He says, we're a country that has looked to God in times like these. And he's, this has happened several years now. Over the past couple years, he's announced national day of prayer, Sunday. But I ask, why not Saturday? Why not the seventh day of the week? President Trump Pray silently at St. John Paul II Shrine as a prelude to order advancing religious freedom. You know, when I looked at this picture on the right, it brought a picture to my mind. And I don't know if you guys can see the same thing I'm seeing in that image that's there. Now, this uh, Advancing Religious Freedom Act, you could look that up for yourselves at whitehouse.gov to kind of see exactly what has been instituted or what, ha- what is behind it. Um, an article from the Catholic News Service says, Patricia McGuire, president of Trinity Washington University, a short distance from the shrine, charged that Trump was misappropriating religious symbols for political gain rather than broadly supporting religious freedom. Listen to what she says here. He's torn down the wall between church and state and instead is weaponizing religion for his own political goals. He also has stated that he's in line with the Catholic Church. He's the best president in the history of the Catholic Church. And as Seventh-day Adventists, we understand that the two beasts of Revelation 13, being the United States and the Roman Catholic Church, as they continue to draw closer, we're going to begin to see more of this Sunday push. Well, not only are we going to see this push towards Sunday, 
Um, we're also beginning to see lawlessness taking place. We're finding uh, these bishops in the United States, uh, they've been donating money to different um, movements that are uh, promoting rioting and, and different things that are taking place in the streets. I, I just am bringing this up just simply because I would like people to understand we now have uh, these movements that are taking place in the world, and one of the movements is this Black Lives Matter movement. You know, this is very uncomfortable for me to talk about, but the question is, what is really behind the movement itself? What's behind the co-founders? I mean, we're looking at the president of the country currently. What, what is he pushing for? What is his agenda? We're seeing other movements. Um, BLM leader threatens to burn down the system. He literally called Jesus a black radical revolutionary. Now, I found this article, and I found it interesting because I look back at the movement of Martin Luther King back in the 60s, which is so much different than what we're seeing today. He says, let us be dissatisfied until that day when nobody will shout white power, when nobody will shout black power, but everybody will talk about God's power and human power. We, we need a person like that in these days. We need somebody like that to stand up. Now, behind, now, I'm leaving the link up there so you can see what we believe. One of the things that this movement is promoting is they are against what is considered the nuclear family. And I don't know if you know what that means. In layman's term, it means... They're against the idea of having a traditional husband and wife raising a family in society. That's one of, their, um, one of the things that they're promoting, one of the things that they're against. Listen to what the co-founder and founder of the movement says. They say, part of our calling as people who do this work for black lives is to lift up our people up both in their living but also in their death, Cooler said. Abdullah and Coolers touched on the practice of calling out the names of the victims that they advocate for in protests and demonstrations. They say it's kind of a way to invoke their spirits, Abdullah said. Uplifting the names of victims goes beyond creating hashtags. It is literally almost resurrecting a spirit so they can work through us to get the work that we need to get done. We find in the book of Isaiah that we are not to communicate with the spirits. We are not to do that. And so we see in the great controversy, Ellen White wrote this, again, over 100 years ago. She states that through two great errors, the immortality of the soul and Sunday sacredness, Satan will bring the people under his deception. We're seeing protesters um, recently in Portland. They were burning Bibles in the street. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this um, six-block uh, protest that took place in, place in Seattle several months ago. <clears throat> and uh, during that protest, one of the gentlemen uh, had a megaphone and he was shouting out um, for people to get on board with this movement. That, and what was asked was, what happened during the French Revolution? And the people shouted, chop. He said, that's right. He said, what's going to happen if people don't get on board with our, what, what we want and what we desire? People yelled out, chop. And we read in Education, Ellen White says, the spirit of unrest, of riot and bloodshed, the worldwide dissemination of the same teachings that led to the French Revolution, all are tending to involve the whole world in a struggle similar to that which convulsed France. We're finding here in the United States, because of the pandemic, churches are being shut down. Uh, governors are making laws to ban public gatherings, and we're not able to gather at church in some of these states. Uh, one of the pastors in California, Grace Community Church, John MacArthur, he announced this week, which was, uh, this article was from July 25th. 
He says that it will not submit to California Governor Gavin Newsom's order to halt indoor services, declaring that Christ, not Caesar, is the head of the church. Now, I know there's a lot of opinions whether people should congregate for a church or not. We're finding um, churches are being burned. Uh, one church in particular in Florida recently, a gentleman drove into the church through the front door, got out of his van, poured gasoline around the church, lit it on fire, and then drove away. They had to chase him down. Uh, in this church in Mississippi that got burned down, they wrote here, you hypocrites, how dare you gather? You're, you're spreading the virus. We read in this article from May 19th, religious fundamentalists are making the pandemic worse. And Pope Francis, uh, last year, he declared that religious fundamentalism is a plague. Now you could consider what is a fundamentalist. Well, in layman's term, it is relating to or advocating the strict and literal interpretation of Scripture or a fundamentalist Protestant or preacher. This is an article from the Church Militant, June 4th of this year. Um, Catholic ecumenists want Martin Luther exonerated. It says a German ecumenical group consisting of Catholics and Protestants is asking the Pope to lift the excommunication of Martin Luther the chief catalyst for one of the biggest splits in the history of Christendom, the Altenburg Ecumenical Discussion Circle is petitioning Pope Francis to remove Leo X's 1521 excommunication of Martin Luther and asking the Lutheran World Federation to revoke Luther's condemnation of the Pope as Antichrist. So they want to disguise this. They want people to forget what the Reformation was all about. And even us as Adventists, we picked up where the Reformation left off. And again, now we're finding what's happening during this crisis is people and governments are beginning to call for Sunday lockdown to try to curb the spread of this virus. Uh, Pres French President, uh, President Emmanuel Macron, he declared he wanted to see one Sunday a month as a lockdown day. Uh, recently in Portland, when these stores opened up, one of the markets did not have Sunday hours. Coronavirus and indoor, strict Sunday curfews, this is from July 9th, only emergency services allowed. Strict action against Sunday lockdown violators in India. We find people being locked in cages here at some of these countries. And if you look on the left, uh, people are, there's being, signs are being put on them and, and masks of the coronavirus is being put on their faces to shame them. In the Philippines, this is a current article uh, from March this year, um, police lock up curfew breakers in dog cages in the Philippines. And the uh, Philippine president, he actually ordered police uh, to kill citizens who defy the lockdown. He literally said, shoot them dead. Uh, we're seeing persecuted Christians ordered to renounce their faith or lose COVID-19 aid. Uh, this is in, happening in Bangladesh, India, Sudan, and Malaysia. Um, and in Sudan, Christian converts, they face hunger and homelessness during the lockdown unless they reject their faith and return to Islam. We're finding Christians in China are being arrested uh, for distributing gospel tracts. And now a proposed law in Scotland states that the Bible can be considered as a hate crime or inflammatory material. And so the new proposed offenses include stirring up hatred and possession of inflammatory material. In Nepal, a pastor was imprisoned for saying prayer can heal COVID-19. 
We're not allowed to say that now in today's world. We have to go by what the governments are telling us, how to overcome this pandemic. But what has been the course of God's servants in past ages? From Testimonies, Volume 5, Mrs. White writes this over 100 years ago. When the disciples preached Christ and him crucified after his resurrection, the authorities commanded them not to speak anymore, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They continued to preach the good news of salvation through Christ and the power of God's wit- witness to the message. The sick were healed, and thousands were added to the church. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. 100 SDA faithful wearing sacks arrested after converging for foot washing. Take a look at the headline. I actually watched this news article. This actually was on the news. Thou shalt, not, thou shalt practice social distancing was the news article. Here we find what these believers were actually doing. The worshipers congregated at the home of one of them that, where they washed their feet and partook of the Lord's Supper. Most of them were unmasked and did not practice social distancing as required by health authorities to contain the COVID-19 pandemic. Some of the believers were dressed in sacks and stated they had spent days in the mountains praying for the country. We're having a tough time congregating around the world now. This was last year. Reverend Graham stated that the biggest threat to the U.S. is that we turn our back on God. Now, I don't have time to go through each article. I can't read exactly everything that's in there for time. Now, the Pope recently, uh, end of last year, he's venting frustration over lack of political will to implement his Laudato Si encyclical. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but it's an encyclical about climate change to bring all the governments around the world to come together and converge in agreement. One of the items in the encyclical is the sacredness of Sunday and this return to Sunday. Now, this was delayed because of the pandemic. He was going to speak in May, but he's going to speak about this in October. And we may see nations from around the world coming together to sign this. And this is actually in the encyclical. We're told by Ellen White also, men in responsible positions will not only ignore and despise the Sabbath themselves, but from the sacred desk will urge upon the people the observance of the first day of the week pleading tradition and custom in behalf of this man-made institution, they will point to calamities on land and sea, to the storms of wind, the floods, the earthquakes, the destruction by fire, as judgments indicating God's displeasure, because Sunday is not sacredly observed. These calamities will increase more and more. One disaster will follow close upon the heels of another, and those who make void the law of God will point to the few who are keeping the Sabbath of the fourth commandment as the ones who are bringing wrath upon the world. This falsehood is Satan's device that he may ensnare the unwary. And so that's why I say it's so important in our society as we're living and existing here and today that we put on the mind of Christ. Because with everything going on in our world, with all the distractions, the the tensions, people are looking for some sort of peace. Now, we know that the Bible and the Bible alone can give us that peace. And the gospel message itself circulates around the idea of God changing our minds or transforming our minds. 
Not that we can do it, but that God can do it for us. Hebrews 8.10 says, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You see, the gospel is about putting a new mind in us. It's helping us to take our focus off of all these things that are happening. These are signs of the times. We know that all, all these things that are happening are prophetic fulfillment. So God wants to put a new mind in us. Now let's face it. We struggle with our thinking. We struggle constantly to do the right things. And because of all these issues that are taking place in the world, our natural inclination is to take a side or to take a stance on one side or the other. But I'm, I'm here to say that as you're looking at these news articles, the, the road is becoming very narrow. We're, we're literally seeing a disintegration of our society around the world. The carnal mind is at enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, Romans 8, 7. And we struggle, like I said, to, to do the right things. Now, the miraculous thing about our mind is it can be re- transformed. That's actually scientifically true. In Proverbs 27, verse 5, it says, As a man thinks, so he is. And I, I know we've all heard this phrase when we were growing up, Hey, you, you are what you eat. Well, I'd like to suggest that we are what we think as well. So we should be very careful about what we put in our minds. Many people struggle because they're putting negative things in our minds. When we uh, turn away from God, when we stop reading the Bible, when, when we're, we're not committed to our prayer life, when we're getting distracted by the world, we have a tendency to slip away. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that we are to bring every thought into the obedience of Christ. And if we can do all things through Christ who can strengthen us, then God can give us new minds. He can turn us into that character of Jesus Christ. Now, my focus today is on Philippians chapter 2. And I'd like to talk about this idea about putting on the character of Christ, or having the mind of Christ. So if you would, I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. Uh, so if you'd like to follow along, we're going to start in Philippians chapter 1. But I'd like to give a little bit of an introduction. You know, in the book of Philippians, Paul's theme is that the only way the church can have unity is in Christ. His letter to the Philippians revealed to us that having Christ as our model of humility and service We can enjoy a oneness of purpose, of thought, of ambition, and of labor. Now, this is a truth that Paul illustrates from his own life. He lived this out in his own life. And it was one that the Philippian church desperately needed to hear. During Paul's first imprisonment in Rome, he writes this letter to the Christians in Philippi over ten years after he first preached the gospel to them. This was the first church Paul founded in Macedonia. And within their own ranks, fellow workers were hindering the work of proclaiming new life in Christ, which I would call victory over sin. So because of this, Paul exhorts the church to stand fast, be of one mind, rejoice in the Lord always, and in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known before God. And by doing so, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. And again, I ask, how many of us have longed for such a peace? How many people in the world are looking for that peace with everything going on? People that can't, they can't understand why the things are happening. But we can share that with them. Because God has given us a special inspiration for these last days. We can have that peace by putting on the mind of Christ. So I'd like to read, just to open up here, uh, Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12. And we're going to stay, the majority of this will be in Philippians. Starting in verse 12, he says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel." It's believed that Paul was in prison during this time for several years. And during that time, he wrote letters to the Ephesians, the Colossians, and also the church in Philippi. Now, there were thousands of soldiers in the Roman army. And Paul was to be chained to a different soldier every several hours. You might ask, why would they do that? Well, they didn't want Paul to become familiar with an individual and perhaps convert them to Christ. So instead of preaching to just a few Paul had the opportunity to preach to thousands of soldiers while he was in prison. Now, the opening part of Philippians chapter 2 is entitled, Unity Through Humility. Now, the title of this chapter was added later. It was not in the original translation, but I believe um, Unity Through Humility suits this chapter and what he's trying to say. Because unity is one of the greatest evidence that Christ is dwelling in his people and amongst his church. So let's read starting in verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy, being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. We look in verse 2, that phrase that states, of one mind, that actually means, literally, it means thinking one thing. And it means, I believe it means to think Christ, to think about Jesus. You see, our sinful tendency is to think better of ourselves, better of our ideas, better of our achievements over others. But, When Christ dwells in the heart and mind, all of that is reversed. We begin to get a new idea of who we are in the sight of God. And we begin to see better things in others. You know, as I look around, I can see all the talents of the different people that I've interacted with over the years and experienced uh, things with. He sees better things, not in himself, but he esteems other. That's the true Christian character. And when God's people fall under this condition... There's no place for strife. There's no place for vainglory. Nobody needs to be on top. Because the commandment declares, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. 
And doing this is a vital part of our Christian faith. I want to move along to the next part of Philippians chapter 2, which was our scripture reading today. Uh, This is a, a very meaningful verse to me, very meaningful chapter. Paul says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, starting in verse 5, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. You see, Jesus was the express image of the Father, and he was also equal with God. Yet with all this, he didn't cling to that idea of of remaining equal with God. Now in verse 7, when we read the phrase, made himself of no reputation, it, it simply means he emptied himself. He saw humanity created in the image of God, lost without a Redeemer. Now, what a wonderful thought that, that Christ saw humanity that way. He gave all that he had, and he gave all that he was. He laid aside all his glory and majesty. He put it all aside. He emptied his mind of every consideration of himself, of his own things, and he even left his position in heaven open so that he could come to seek and save the lost. He voluntarily assumed human nature, and for our sakes, He became poor, that through his poverty we might be made rich. For a while he relinquished his equality with God, and everywhere he went, he just scattered his blessings to everybody he came in contact with. Now contrast this with the riches of glory, of wealth, and praise that he had in heaven. Because he humbled himself, he took on mortality, and wanted to become a part and a member of, of our family. How touching is that? How, how serious? I mean, he was willing to let go of everything he had. That should be a testimony even for us. I mean, I, I'm even challenged day by day with everything going on. Like, how much am I willing to give up in this world? Am I ready? Am I, am I willing to count the cost? You see, the whole treasure of heaven was poured out in one gift, so that Jesus could come and save the fallen race. And Jesus put his will into active exercise to save the souls of men. And that's something we need to do. We need to actively exercise our will, actively exercise our character and and just our daily walk with Jesus. Christ declared, I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And I think we should really ask ourselves at times, what kind of will Am I cultivating? What am I, what's going on inside of me? Have I been gratifying my own desires? Have I been selfish and stubborn towards God? I think it's a legitimate question we should all be asking ourselves. Because if we do this, we put ourselves in danger. Because the will who is not controlled by the Spirit of God will ultimately be put into the hands and the control of the enemy. And did you know that when we put our wills in unison with God when we actively exercise, that holy obedience that we saw in Jesus Christ will be lived out in our own lives. Jesus was depicted in Scripture as humble and loving and a servant to all. Earlier I was reading about 
Revelation chapter 12. Because we know there's an enemy out there who has a character vastly different from Jesus. And we read in Isaiah chapter 14 and 13 and 14, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud, and I will be like the Most High. See, this is Satan's character. Satan says, and it's human nature, it's human nature in a fallen world, to say, I will ascend, I will exalt, I will sit, and I will be. That's, that's just human nature. But what a contrast of character between Jesus, who didn't seek after his own glory, but he, he looked to serve humanity and bring glory to God. I say that's a, a model that we should have within our lives daily. Remember the purpose of Paul's letter now. The purpose of his letter was to write to the Philippian church because they were at odds. And the disunity that was happening within the church was hindering the work. You know, it's real easy to sit amongst people that we can agree on with cultural issues, political issues, and moral issues. But God does permit each and every one of us to exercise our own individual natures. God permits all of us to make choices daily, what we, what we do, what we choose to do on a day-to-day basis. Do I want to wake up this morning? Do I want to read the scriptures? Do I want to pray? It's an active exercise of the will to do this. You see, his desire for us is to submerge our mind into his. Not another person. Not a president. Not some movement in the streets that says this is what we need to do. Not some labor union. Not somebody who decides they want to speak about something who's a sports figure. We don't need to follow that. We have the word of God. We have have our Savior who's our example. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, verse 2, we are not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. When I was early in my journey in my Christian faith about 20 years ago, I was part of a Sunday-keeping church, and one of the first Bible studies I ever had was this scripture, and I read it, and I was probably a little under 30 years old. I, I read it, and it said, not to be conformed by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. And I said, Lord, is there something wrong with my thinking? Is everything that I've learned throughout my life, is there something wrong? Is there maybe something wrong about some of those things? Maybe, maybe God, you want to correct what I've learned. The Bible also tells us, Paul says to us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. You see, we all have to stand before God individually, personally, with an individual faith, with an individual experience, knowing that Christ is formed within us. And so we need Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit to change us just as clay is molded in the hands of the potter. Now, when we have this spirit, there won't be any strife. There will be no division amongst God's people. No one will be so narrow to say, no, this is the way to go. This is the path. We won't be saying, no, we have to do this according to my ideas, according to my will. We do things according to the Father's will. Anytime we stand up and we say, this is what we need to do. No, 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 no. We're going to do it like this, this, this. I said so. 
we might as well forget about sharing the gospel. It's, the people will see such disunity, they'll say, you're just like the rest of the world. And also, there'll be no inharmonious feeling amongst brothers and sisters when we're unified under Christ. Amen. And we're not going to worry about measuring up to human standards. The Lord doesn't want us to be shadows of others. Amen. He wants us to be our own simple selves, yes. as we were when we were raised, brought up with these tendencies. But He wants us to be refined, sanctified, yes. ennobled by imitating the great pattern. And this, uh, what I call this, and, and this is like what I call a narrow, shut-in spirit. This idea where it's narrow, things have to be done a certain way. When, when we try to keep things within our own compass and within our own ways, it's a curse to the cause of God. Christ humbled and emptied himself, and God will exalt him. God has exalted him, and he will exalt us one day. Satan exalted himself, and God will make an end of everything that he has caused. All the pain and suffering that we are seeing and that we have experienced will come to an end. In John fifteen thirteen, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And so I, I just ask this, like, how poor did Jesus come? How greatly did the author of life humble himself You see, God's plan of salvation was carried out through Jesus, a lowly, innocent baby born in a manger. You know, God could have sent his son as a wealthy, powerful king, and he could have come in a palace. But instead, Jesus came humble and poor. He chose to come that way. Now, all the eyewitnesses' accounts that we read in the scriptures about Jesus' life declare that he healed the sick, he fed the poor, He gave hope to the hopeless. He gave sight to the blind. And he even raised the dead. He offered his kindness and friendship to everyone he encountered. There was nobody excluded from what he had to offer. Now on his first visit to earth, Jesus came as a lowly and simple man to be sacrificed so that we can be saved from this disease of sin. When Jesus comes back a second time, he'll come back with his heavenly supremacy, all his holy angels, to give to those who choose to live with him forever in paradise. And I just ask, how can we neglect such a great salvation after all he's done for us? What stops us from living from him? What is holding us back to just say, Lord, take all that I am? Because there's freedom in that. There's such freedom in, in just submitting everything, all of our, all that we have, all that we are to Him. In the book of Revelation, chapters 12, 13, and 17, I'm just going to kind of compact this together. We find Satan, who is identified as a dragon, influencing earthly powers. And it says in Revelation 17 that they are of one mind. And what do they do? Well, we know at the end of time, they war against God and his people. Thankfully, we have a mighty Savior who loves us so much that he's warned us ahead of time what to look out for so that we're not deceived. He's given us inspiration. He's given us his holy word passed down. And with all this taking place in the world, with all this chaos that's increasing, 
I just say that let's choose today to have the mind of Christ. Not just today when we walk out of here, but tomorrow when we wake up, and the day after that, and the day after that, and just keep doing it. The more we put our wills into exercise, the greater our experience will become. God will pour out his blessings. It's back to Philippians uh, chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 9. 9 through 11. Paul says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Remember this. When you choose to put on the mind of Christ, it is God who both wills and he will work through you for his good pleasure. Regardless of what happens on this planet, regardless of the rejection we may face, regardless of the mockery that may come upon us, one day every knee will bow. Even Satan himself will bow before the Creator and declare he is holy and just and true. Even our persecutors will have to stand before a holy God claiming that God is true. Uh, Let me finish off with this scripture. Philippians chapter 4, 8. Let's give you an idea of, of things to meditate on. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Paul says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, and whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The time is growing short day by day. The signs of the time reveal that Satan is marshalling his forces for one last great crisis, and we saw this. We truly need the mind of Christ. We don't know the day or the hour of Christ's return, but we should live as if he's coming tomorrow. And while we wait, we should put on the mind of Christ, who was chosen from the foundation of the world to fulfill God's plan of redemption. Part of his plan is to recreate us into his image so we can reflect his glory. So let's strive for the character of Christ and die to self daily. Let's lift up Jesus, not ourselves, so that all that we come in contact with might be drawn to him and inherit eternal life. I'm going to finish off reading this quote here. Ellen White says in Review and Herald, When the Holy Spirit moves upon human minds, all petty complaints and accusations between man and his fellow man will be put away. The bright beams of the Son of Righteousness will shine into the chambers of the mind and heart. In our worship of God, there will be no distinction between rich and poor, white and black. All prejudice will be melted away. When we approach God, it will be as one brotherhood, sisterhood. We are pilgrims and strangers bound for a better country, even a heavenly There, all pride, all accusation, all self-deception will forever have an end. Every mask will be laid aside, and we shall see him as he is. There, our songs will catch the inspiring theme, and praise and thanksgiving will go up to God. Before we close, I just wanted to have a prayer of appeal before we have our closing song.
Heavenly Father, I just, I'm just so grateful, Lord, for your presence here today. Lord, I ask that your spirit would remain here upon your people and would go forth with us as we leave this place. Lord, search our hearts and our minds, and if there be any ill thing within us, whether it be individually or corporately, Father, I ask that you would just cast it away from our presence, Lord. Help us to experience that unity. Help us to experience that love and that compassion that Christ can bring to his people. Not so that we can glorify ourselves or, or tell the world how great we are, Father, so that you can be noticed, so that you can be recognized and that people will be drawn to you, Lord. So I just ask that every heart here, Father, every mind that is here would just have this urgency to, to commit and submit all of our wills before you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.